This is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast, and I'm your host, Jacob Kruger. Today, we have a special guest, Noah Lang, who's an incredible independent film producer. And he's going to be wrapping out our How to Sell Your Script series of podcasts with some really helpful advice, not only about the sales process, but also about the development process from the producer's point of view. Welcome, Noah. How are you? I am fantastic. So, you know, you just finished a really interesting uh, film, uh, This Is Not a War Story. And I thought it would be a wonderful interview for the, our our final uh, our final podcast in the Sell Your Script series, because this is not like a likely movie, you know? And, and I think, you know, a lot of new writers think selling a script is about selling out or doing something that's that's obviously commercial. So I'm curious, like, what's the origin story of This Is Not A War Story? How did this happen? Yeah, t- totally. I mean, there's there's a couple parts here that are, that'll be fun to unpack. And, the, you know, the first thing I would say is that so Talia Lugasi, who uh, wrote it, directed it, and she's actually one of the leads in it. Um, she produced it with me. She's a she's a force of nature, and you know I love her. She's so talented. We met in New York and Brooklyn years ago, and she was developing this. It was called Eight Thousand Shots at the time, and just the 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 rawness of it, the realness of it all. I was just I was in, you know, and um, my my family has a kind of history of interest in veterans issues, and you know me as a person of progressive progressive politics leaning person was was interested in it um but more so than anything was this here's this uh this filmmaker that is going to get this done come hell or high water which are you know as a producer is kind of what you're looking for who those people that are unstoppable um so that was sort of the impetus of diving in and we were in the fortunate position of there was there was private financing to do it at a very small level which what i would say about that is that you know in terms of what you were saying is that we made it for the number that the quote market could sustain doing a film like this, right? Yes. Like there's obviously massive exceptions for dramas justifying much larger budgets, et cetera. <clears throat> and, um, and those tend to be, you know, star driven and, you know, A-list directors and, you know, Academy Awards fodder and, and things like that. Whereas in this case, my, the, the calculus for someone like me is like, well, this is a filmmaker I want to work with. I love this project. And I think we can grow together and keep doing things together. And so she also had, had the benefit of her first film was a, a Tribeca Film Festival selection. It was a New York Times critics pick that starred Rosario Dawson, who then executive produced this with us. So we it had we had some kind of good strategic elements to be able to play with. Um, and um, and so it kind of jumped into the into the deep end on that one rather quickly. And, and, you know, it's, it's the, it's a film that we're incredibly proud of. You know, we managed to sell it to HBO. We've got an independent spirit award nomination for it. Good reviews at New York times, Roger Ebert, film threat, hammered and hammered to nail all sorts of nice places. And, um, but it's also, you know, now that we're sort of heading towards the end of its initial life cycle, it'll, you know, obviously keep doing its thing for a long time, but um, is that it's also the tool that we use for the next thing, which is, you know, still it has her kind of um, her identity, but is slightly more uh, commercial and it has a slightly different set of ambitions, et cetera. And I think like in terms of a lot of what you talk about on this series, like is that there's there are different benchmarks for what, you know, quote, selling your script is right. Like a big in a way, it's almost like making your script, like yeah. you're getting something made 
and that being able to make it is one step towards being able to do more things that you like to do. And you know, a lot of writers have very disparate interests. A lot of them have very similar ones. Like, you know, I say like a lot, I really admire the um, Benson and Moorhead who made, you know, The Endless and Resolution and Spring. And, you know, they, whereas what I saw there was they kind of were very deliberate about a progression in size of movies so that they could you know, keep keep taking those steps to be able to get to the place that they ultimately wanted to be and do interesting things along the way. So this is not a war story to me as a good bottle example of like, well, we can do a lot of the, of our greater ambitions within the framework of, you know, a film of this size. And um, it's it's it sort of stands as a testament to what we think is possible for projects going forward. Yeah. And I love what you said about the unstoppable force. You know, uh, one of my very talented students is an entrepreneur. He, he, he used to be an angel investor. And, you know, I'm always interested in these kinds of things. So I was asking about like, you know, when you've got all these different people pitching you projects that you know can make money, how do you know which one to choose? And he said, it's so simple, Jake. He's like, I choose the one who is going to do it even if I don't give him a dollar. Yeah. Um, because that's the one who's actually going to succeed. And, and I think yeah. it's really cool, you know, today, like when I was coming up, you had to shoot on film and today it's, it's become so much more accessible for people to actually say, Hey, I'd like your money. I'd like your support, but if I don't have it, I'm actually going to do this anyway. No, totally. And there's, you know, what's nice too, is that because of the prevalence of the internet and social media and the way that we engage with all kinds of content, the ability to be able to do things at a smaller scale that, you know, adhere to larger goals, like, you know, where you see a lot of, you know, there's a pretty tried and true model of proof of concept short films becoming the features or these kind of micro horror shorts that are extrapolated like lights out, you know, or um, I'm forgetting the name of the one. It was the short was called Larry, but uh, you know, that that's sort of become a tried and true method. And that wasn't possible, you know, a long a while back, right? And now, now it is. And it's a model that I've used several times. You know, we did that on a movie called Minor Premise. We did it on a movie called The Strange Ones. Uh, we're doing it again on, um, we did it on a movie called The Climb. And, uh, but anyway, the point really is like, there's, there's, there's like availability of incubating ideas now that wasn't there before. Um, and in a, you know, in a kind of broader sense, like my, like experience with selling things at the studio level has had as many frustrations as I'm sure you've had and, and that many of your students have had with uh, several successes and a lot of just frustrations and confusion, right? And, and I do think that um, what's interesting about meeting with talented young writers uh, who is, is sort of an element of education about like, well, look, like, you know, you can also be thinking in terms of like producers like myself who are motivated to get movies made at a modest number because we're trying to grow with our filmmakers. I don't have, I'm not independently wealthy, so I can't finance movies myself, but I can be, you know, in the foxhole with you and I can fight to get the thing made. And together we can, you know, keep, we can watch each other's back and, you know, kind of, you know, progress up the chain and get stuff done. And that's, that's happened um, in certain instances in my career. And I think that that's a, sometimes something that gets lost in the way that people romanticize being a screenwriter, right? That they're, everything is going to be Andrew Kevin Walker's seven, you know, like I'm going to be at a video store. Someone's going to ask for my script. Boom. I got to, you know, I'm, I'm suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm a made man. Um, but there's, there's a million ways to cut it up, right? Like you just sort of have to have a sort of an openness to how that can look and what you define as, a success. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's so much value to what you're saying about like 
finding your people. And, and yet, sure, if if you happen to bump into Martin Scorsese and he's interested in your script, that's that's freaking great. But, you know, it may actually be the people in your generation or the people who are like one step beyond where you are, who were you where you were a, a month ago or a year ago that are actually hungry for for that new content. Yeah. And that like motivation and thinking, I think, is a good is a really nice thing to have top of mind in basically every interaction you have in the industry is like, you know, uh, sometimes going to a more junior agent about, you know, a piece an actor or someone like that can benefit you because they're trying to find a way to look really smart and, you know, have like they they've got their eyes on something that everyone else doesn't know about, you know, or um, it's like, I, you know, I started as an assistant, you know, 11 years ago at a, at a, at a company called Synetic and like, you know, we all, all the assistants, we were all kind of like trading Intel and da, da, da. And that, that's where you like build your kind of groundswell of like your tribe inside the industry. And like, and then in just a greater sense to your point is like, you got to find your people because it's a really lonely business otherwise. And like, you guys can find ways to help each other. And, you know, whether it's sharing information or sharing contacts or, you know, helping each other get their, their scripts better or, you know, designing decks or help someone who can help write a budget, all those things like, can help and like I recognize I'm talking a little bit more about like kind of the back end of like a, you know putting a movie together more so than like selling your script but you know we've I've found things in the past where we've you know, brought the director to it and we've gotten to make it that weren't just a lot of people think of indie producing as only writers directors and it's it's not always you know there's a there's this whole realm of of making things that's very that's you know that's completely disparate from that that studio side of things and the sundanceiness of it all you know i actually think what you're sharing is 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 really valuable because i think you're you're kind of demystifying this a little bit you know and yeah it's a little bit more gritty and real than like the fairy tale story which happens too where someone grabs your script and some suddenly you're rich um but you know, also sometimes somebody grabs your script and suddenly you're rich. And then 15 years later, your, your, your movie still isn't made, you know, and, and there's, there's, uh, there's tremendous value in going like, how do we, how do we do this? You know, how do we put ourselves in a position where people can't say no to us? Um, yeah. I'm curious when somebody approaches you like a new, a new writer, somebody that you don't know, what is the balance between being obnoxious and being unstoppable? Like, like how do you like to be approached by new writers? I mean, I wish I had a one size fits all answer. I will say that there are a number of people that clearly send like blast emails to like everyone who has their email listed on IMDb. Mine's not even listed there anymore, but somehow it's, it's I'm still getting these from a lot of these same writers that are sending me these same log lines. And it's like, that drives me crazy is like, you know, it, but like if someone finds me and is, has a personal touch to it, like, you know, I really, really, really love you're alone or, you know, seeing how you guys pulled things off with the climb really moved me or, you know, it like has sort of a, there's like a, Oh, you actually want to talk to me because you think that there's, you know, some sort of shared ethos or, you know, philosophy or, or whatever it is. That's I'm like, okay, I, I, I respect and appreciate that. I understand where you're coming from. And, you know, I can't guarantee I'll like your script or read it because there's a bajillion, but uh, it, like I have, people have found me through cold outreach. This guy, Brandon Weevil, we've been working with, who's just great, um, to, totally found us through the grapevine and he's a wildly talented horror writer with 
crazy batshit ideas, but like that's that's like what I'm looking for because there's no lack of just like you know fun elevated genre things out there. But like we really like what I want to find. I want to find like hereditary. I don't want to find you know another. Um, not that there's anything wrong with um, the kind of mainstream horror world. It's it's very cool and fun and popcorny. But like trying to find things that uh, you know become like a singular piece within a very crowded you know marketplace right now. But um, so to go back to your question, you know, if you have a really compelling logline and are personal in your outreach, I'll um, I'll be much more receptive for sure. I think that's that's really valuable. Like a lot of the pitch fests kind of amplify this. You know, we we think it's like Shark Tank, where it's about this like song and dance, but it, it's really not. It's it's about you know connecting with another human being. It's about like knowing knowing who you are before you start trying to sell you something. Um, I'm also curious, you know, uh, particularly on This Is Not A War Story, you took a really unique approach to the development of that piece. And so I would love to give my writers like a little peek behind the door of like, what does the development process look like on, on a piece like that that's not being created in the traditional Hollywood model? Yeah, the interesting thing about it as like a broader sample, right, uh, of or example of what you're talking about is is the idea of building trust within a community that you're then going to represent, whether it's in a, a, a film or in the script that you hope to make into a film. And um, so what you know what Batalia did in that instance was she had the framework of characters that she realized fit into the um, the context of the veteran experience of trauma and PTSD. And so she built the trust with those communities to do that. And it took a long time. And, you know, she's uh, remarkable for having fought to do to do that, you know, and built these relationships across the years with them. But that's what translates into the movie being great. You know, there's and a big part of the movie's identity is being um, upset with the mainstream representation of of the military and coming home from warfare and the lack of true representation of the, the issues of moral injury and, and post-traumatic stress and, um, and suicidal ideation and stuff. And I recognize everything I just said sounds not commercial, but like making stuff right now, like you need to do things that have a huge impact, whether, and also like something I always say is I'm like, in my opinion, the market doesn't know what it wants, right? Like every, like the great example right now is like the squid game one where everyone keeps being like everyone passed on squid game. And it's like, yeah, like in a way, that happens every other week is like something that doesn't make sense on paper is like the, is the soup du jour. So, and I would say that about ours, but um, in a greater example for how to like to give your, your writers and your listeners, you know, more um, how a peek behind the curtain could help is that if you're writing about something that has to do with something real, of you know, real subculture, real group of people, um, like get involved and understand that, you know, like figure out ways to get that authenticity. Cause when you have that, within something like the the pages like sing them you know even if you're like a raw writer if you're writing from a real place like i'm i'm gonna i'm terrible at pulling examples off the top of my head but like when when you have people who come from a specific like background or community like law enforcement or yeah the military or you know uh medicine etc who write something because of experiences they went through like the, those stories tend to be like intense and really interesting and part of me is probably like, I bet you multiple drafts of that script were like 
nonsense. You know, the writing was bad. The structure was impossible to decipher, but it had a lot of integrity because it, it was real, you know? Yeah. So I would say the more you can uh, pull from the authenticity of what you're writing about, like the better, like that, that can only help you. Yeah. I, I always feel like you want, you want to feel like this is the only writer in the world who could have written this script. Yes. You're yeah, looking really, for- really good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I love what you're talking about with voice. Um, again, I think, I think so. I, this is really even true. You know, I worked for many years on, on the Hollywood side of things. Um, and even there, it was always true. You know, when, when you're working with a famous writer, it's often about hook, you know, like, all right, what's the pitch? Um, but when, when you are working with a newer writer, it's always about voice, you know, because at some level, you know, you're going to have to go to bat and you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight for this person and you're not going to have like, well, their last movie made this much money. So it's, it's gotta be provocative in some way. I'm curious, what are you looking for right now? Like what, what excites you most? Oh man. I mean, I always say that I kind of am like, uh, you know, as much as it's a cop out, like I kind of love everything. Like I do, you know, like probably, you know, favorite movies of all time are like, you know, Terminator 2 and like Airplane and Aliens. And then, but then like, I'm obsessed with, um, you know, like, like Place Beyond the Pines is one of my favorites. I love rural thrillers. Uh, I'm, uh, I love contained sci-fi. Like if someone ever had an idea like Cube again, I would be like, that would be like my favorite thing ever. Yeah. Um, and um, I mean, right now, like what's, what's interesting to me is like things that feel um, infinitely makeable, you know, like mm -hmm. where it's like, uh, you look at something like The Guilty with Jake Gyllenhaal and the original um, foreign language film. And I go like, this is a dream because it's compelling. It's a good actor's piece. It's a thriller. Um, and you could do this in, you know, 15 days anywhere in the country, as long as you have your location. And, um, and not because it's like, I don't want to do ambitious things, but like, sometimes you just have to be thinking practically. And like, you know, we, I've, I've, with, with filmmakers I work with have made the sales at studio levels that require all these massive levers to be able to happen. And I think there's a lot of virtue to, you know, writing and trying to produce things that can be done you know, at a, at a modest level that, you know, have opportunities for good actors, and, you know, um, and, and can be done. So I'd say I, I'm really interested in contained right now. Uh, and, and within any, any genre, you know, uh, thriller, sci-fi, horror, uh, especially I would say like thrillers, frankly, I would, I would love to do a contained thriller. But um, yeah, and like I look at, like I even think of things like, you know, shotgun stories, like Jeff Nichols' first movie, um, like the interview, this old Australian movie with Hugo Weaving, like uh, where you can take stakes and do it within a, you know, certain confines. So, um, so yeah, that, that, that's me right now. And then I, I, you know, my, my hope is always to try and um, find and identify like voices that I think are going to be really like have a lot to say. So that's yeah. like, I don't have, like I said before, I don't have money so I can like, but I can like help nurture talent of different kinds i think i think that's not something that i'm good at and uh you know i tend to work with my filmmakers again so not a lot of producers have that experience well i mean i think your 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 resume speaks for itself your your imdb speaks for itself like um 
it's it's easy to have a lot of producing credits if you have a ton of money but but when when what you're really showing is hey you can go out and fight for a project and you can make things and you can make things that are unlikely you know if you put the right team together and you know how to how to proceed with that so i'm i'm curious for a writer who wants to produce their own script maybe it's a short maybe it's a low budget contained feature what are the what do you think the most common mistakes are that people make when it comes to producing and what what should the the writer let's assume they have no experience they've never even thought of producing something before what are the most important things for them to think about well i think you know i really appreciate the ethos of like go 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 like just make stuff you know move fast and break things and the like you know uh the tech jargon but um for people that don't like haven't done it uh, a lot or at all what i would say is that there tends to be a uh, a lack of like respect for the necessity of very very good people doing the traditional jobs like don't hire your buddy who wants to be a dp someday like try and find that like spend hours on vimeo finding you know i found the you know greatest young dp who's never shot a you know a feature you know maybe he hasn't even done narrative but he's got an incredible eye i think he could do something really or she could do something really special with this um is like take the time for those things to get those things right and like you know don't shoot on all white walls and like you know find find ways to make the uh the the scenes they're inhabiting feel like rich and real and if it's if it's like an elevated idea obviously just try and really flex with like things like even if you feel like you can't think about ways to make the production design feel bigger you know if you're going to stay really tight do some things in the background that make it sing you know or whatever it is like just take the time to ensure you can get some people in the trenches with you that that bring a lot of like just straight up qualitative like skills to it um you just want something that looks really good like and obviously and acting as well and the nice thing about acting is there's no lack of actors <clears throat> and there's no lack of talented actors that would love to just make stuff you know you just need to be patient in finding them so also don't cast you know your your friends necessarily, unless they're very good actors, in which case, absolutely do it, you know? It's it's really true, right? Like all of life is casting. That's the secret of life, right? That you surround yourself with amazing people and and they elevate you and you put one person that's the wrong fit and it will bring the whole production down. Um, yeah. And, and I, I love what you're saying. I think I've seen so many new producers uh, really shortchange themselves on pre-production, right? Like racing through pre-production because they want to get it made so bad, you know, but the less money you have, the not the the less important it is, like the more important it is that your DP is incredible. The more important it is that your line producer is incredible, that your sound person is incredible, that your stars are incredible. So I think that's an amazing piece of advice. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's just about margins of error. They get smaller, you know, the the lower your, your budget gets so yeah. the more prepared you are for you know any you know um unforeseen thing that could come up like the better you know if like like there's a really cool movie called the incident sparrow creek um which is a like a standoff movie 
And like, I remember uh, that I, the, the filmmaker apparently made like a whole Bible that was just like everything, you know, from like all of the, cre- and I haven't met him. I'm just sort of like quoting what I've heard secondhand, yeah. but uh, it was like the entire film, like what we're feeling and seeing and all, everything. And I was like, see, that guy gets it. Like, it, you know, if that took him five years, then like when he has his 20 days to make the thing, like he's already made it in his head a million times. And it's not just in his head. Here's like a physical document. That's like, this is the thing. Yeah. It's like, you know, some actors create their binders for each role. That's like research and their own writings and things like that. And you're like, here's the thing I can hold that like tells me what I need to do. But um, I only bring that up in so far as like, yeah, just being like prepared for how to do something. And, and the more things that you do, like the more that you learn and more are capable of talking about, and, like if you do eventually like, or just, you know, want to get to a position where you can just straight up sell a script, like that's how you get there in my mind. It's like, don't, you know, it's not winning the lottery. It's like, you know, uh, it's punching a time card, like, yeah. you know, finding ways to like, um, to get your name out there a little bit. And, and something I, I've told people before is like, yeah, you make something like, go to, it doesn't matter how small or seemingly insignificant the festival is, like go meet people, hand out, your, you give your email, try and chat with people. Like if one in, you know, 50 people is worth knowing, then it was worth doing it, you know? So, yeah. um, and that's how I think you like get to the position you want to be in, like in any creative position in, in entertainment is like put yourself out there as much as possible. Yeah. I'm going to, uh, ask you probably the most common question that I hear about what do I do? So um, a lot of times uh, a, a writer, they get their script to a producer. The producer goes, I'm so excited to read this or an agent or a manager. I'm so excited to read this. And then they never hear again. And I always get the question from the writer, like, do I send him an email? Do I call? What is too frequent? What is not frequent enough? How much pushing should I do? And I'm curious, how do you like to be interacted with by a writer when you've got their project, you've got a million things to read? What's the best way for them to handle that? I am not against the follow-up at all because, you know, it's like, it's not like I have an assistant. There's a lot of things going on. So like if someone sends, it's been three weeks or something and they're like, hey, have you even like, have you been able to look at this in a polite way? You know, because it's like, I'm, I'm obviously not, not. I am not not reading it because I don't want to or am lazy or whatever. It's like, in all likelihood, I completely forgot. You know, maybe I opened it and it's one of 700, you know, I have like 15 PDFs open right now, like, and just space. So like a polite follow-up is, is totally fine. The thing to avoid is like, you know, when it's like, hey, don't read that. I got like a new, it's like, when you're going to send something, be like, you know, this is the thing I want you to read. Um, so I would say, that, you know, there, there is so much, if, and also like saying something like, look, if you don't have time to read it right now, um, would it be okay if I contacted you in a couple of months? And like, you know, sometimes people like myself would really appreciate that because the person reaching out doesn't know what I am or the other, uh, the other people being re- re- out, reached out to or dealing with, you know, it can be like, I'm dealing with a lot of chaos and finishing up a couple of projects right now. It's, so I'm not reading as much as I would like, but they have no way of knowing that. So if you offer them a little bit of grace, I think that's a good thing. So but definitely like follow up, you know, that you shouldn't be af- afraid of that. Like just, you know, be polite and recognize that everyone's got lives and, and, you know, disparate concerns to deal with at any given time and it should be all fine. 
Yeah, I think that's a wonderful piece of advice. And so I, I wonder, um, I we're about to wrap up. So is there anything else you'd like to share about this is not a war story before we wrap? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I say a lot, like I think it's one of the, if not the most, one of the most uh, like rewarding experiences in my career. And, and I think a big part of that is like, you know, it's always fun to make things. I mean, within sometimes it's not so fun, but it, the outcome is always fun, right? You got to have something and got all these posters on my wall. But um, it's really, it's much better when it's uh, it's something that has a lot of impact and meaning um, to people. And it's, it's translated in that way. And I, I think that when people watch it, they recognize that. So, you know, it's, um, if you have HBO Max, it's available now on HBO Max. Um, in six or so months, we'll be doing a special edition Blu-ray. And um, in, a, in a couple of years, it'll be on AVOD, like, you know, Crackle and uh, 2B and Voodoo and all that. But uh, until then, it's exclusive to HBO. So if you got HBO, please watch it. Um, and if you plan to watch the Spirit Awards, they're March 6th, and we're nominated for the John Cassavetes Award. Uh, it'll be on IFC. So love to, would appreciate it if anyone watched. <laughs> That's incredible, Noah. Congratulations on that. And I, I appreciate that. It's such a wonderful place to end, right? Because so often when people think about producers, they forget that producers are also artists, right? And that like producers get into this business. Sure, they'd like to make money, but producers get into this business because they want to say something too. And 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 remembering that like, your art is about what you want to say. It's not just about what you could sell. You know, if, if it was just about what you could sell, you could make a lot more money, you know, selling any kind of merchandise. Yeah. So, you know, I, I really love kind of ending on that spiritual side of things. Like say something that matters to you and then go find somebody who wants to say something similar. And that's how you find your tribe, like you were talking about. Yeah, look, there are a lot of dirtbag producers out there. I will not deny it, but something my, a buddy of mine has, has kind of quoted it as, you know, like most producers aren't like mustache twirling supervillains, you know? They're like, yeah, they're filmmakers that, you know, want to help advocate for stories and figure out doing something that's really difficult. And like, you know, directors are, are some of the most important and special people in the world. And they need people like us to be able to understand how to get through all this, right? And, and I think it's, everybody needs everyone in this industry. And there's, I think, too much like, so-and-so is the problem or so-and-so is the problem. It's like, like we all would, it's a miracle anything works. And like, we're all like, you know, in the, in the fight together. So I hope there's, that people can have a bit of like grace towards, you know, um, the process of getting anything made because it, it's so Herculean to do it. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're not all like, look, we all want to make money because we all got to make a living. I have, you know, my second kid on the way, so like got to make money, but, uh, it's also like, there's, there's a world where you can, you know, have integrity and also, uh, you know, make a living. Yeah. Well, thank you for such an inspiring interview and I really appreciate your time. Good luck with the Casavetes award. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. <laughs> Thanks so much, Noah. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like and follow for more and come study with me every Thursday night for free. Writeyourscreenplay.com slash Thursday.